where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Today we're beginning our Lenten sermon series, which is on hard choices. And each week we will be hearing the story of one of our ancestors in faith and the choices that they made in their life decisions to live life deeper and more meaningfully. Today we have the story of a wealthy person who is asked to choose between his money and his desire to follow Jesus. Let's hear that story. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother also. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. One of the traditions of Lent has often been to give something up for the 40-odd days of the season. And some people at some times have interpreted this as a punishment of sorts or some kind of uh, self-denial for the sake of self-denial. The idea behind a spiritual fast of any kind, whether it is food-related or a bad habit or a distraction, is that it is the opportunity to refocus. It's the chance to practice the way that we always want to live. And so we look at this time as a time to pay attention to the things that have become distractions for us. If social media distracts you from your soul work, or eating too much sugar is impacting your mental and your physical well-being, or watching TV means that you don't spend time in meditation, then Lent is a way to double down on practicing the way you want to live. And the idea is that by taking away some things, you're able to focus more on the things that matter. The rich person in the story that we heard is trying to figure out what matters. He's looking for that same transformational experience that we are all looking for to a certain extent. I have my certain extents, and I am sure that all of you have your certain extents. What are the limits 
in our desire to follow Jesus? That's the question that the story asks for us. And you might notice in the answer that Jesus gives that he lists only five of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and he adds at the end the command to love your neighbor as yourself, which Christians know best from Jesus, but is actually a quote from Leviticus. And what you might notice about those is those are only the commandments that have to do with how we live together. Our well-being, our eternal life, as the man puts it, is inextricably tied up with the well-being of others. What we choose to gain, Jesus appears to be saying, is directly related to what we are willing to let go of. And we're having this conversation in all sorts of places. That's the question that's at the very root of the work that our mission ministry here is doing, that our environmental justice ministry team is doing. It's the question that's happening out in the broader world as we ponder how do we shift this culture that we have from being about each of us as individuals to all of us as creation. And so for Lent, as a practice session, an invitation for us all to ponder the question more deeply, the mission ministry has envisioned a way for us to let go, to give to others a little more than we think we can. And for that, the team is partnering with Africa Bags as one of the possible ways that you might extend your generosity. And this morning, we have Todd Pettit with us this morning, one of the founders, and he's going to share with us his journey of learning to give to others as well as the work that Africa Bags is doing. Good morning. My name is Todd Pettit. I'm Linda Pettit's um, oldest son. And I'm from Loveland, Colorado. And I'm a, a roofing contractor, so I'm probably the least likely or one of the least likeliest people in the world to do a, start a nonprofit working out of um, Africa. But that's exactly what um, my wife and I did in 2007. So it started actually in 2006. I saw a documentary um, on PBS about the Rwandan genocide, and it, it really stuck with me. And then, a short while later, there was a, an article in Time magazine that said, someone in Africa dies every three seconds from a disease that's preventable or treatable. The reason they die is because they don't have the money to buy the medicine or, or food or whatever they needed, so they, they ended up dying. <clears throat> so it, it kind of got my head thinking, maybe we can go into communities in Africa and create small businesses in Africa and just get money to them so they could take care of um, their own problems and their own issues that they have. So it took us a few a few months to figure out what we could have these groups in Africa produce that we could sell here and then send the money back. And we came up with the idea of a cloth shopping bag. So this was in 2007 um, when a cloth shopping bag was a relatively new idea. 
And so the idea was we could sell the bags, give the money to the people in Africa, and then it would help here in the United States to get rid of the plastic bags that we're all using. So we had the idea. We'd never been to Africa, so we needed to find a place that we could go and try this project. Our kids' piano teachers, they had gone to Malawi a few times to set up shallow water wells, and we did a little research on Malawi and saw that it was very poor, so we invited our children's piano teacher over and kind of told her about the idea we had, and she said, yeah, I think this idea would work in Malawi. The good thing, or the things about Malawi, I wouldn't say they're good, is that it's one of the poorest countries in the world. It always ranks as one of the ten poorest countries in the world, and 60% of the people in Malawi live on less than $1 a day. And it's also, one of their languages is English, so it would be easy for us to communicate. And at the time, it was very peaceful. I always like to say that there's not many resources in Malawi, so there's not a lot for the people in the government to fight over, which is one of the reasons they're so poor, but it also had stability. Of course, a lot of that's changed over the last ten years with a lot of the protests and things with governments around the world, but in 2007, it was known as a stable country. So in April of 2007, we booked tickets to Malawi, Africa. We flew over, got off the plane. We went to a local factory, or I mean a local fabric store, bought a couple treadles, bought some big rolls of canvas, a light canvas cloth. We stuck them on top of a bus and started a six-hour journey to the northern part of Malawi where we had been put in contact with a missionary that was working there. We got about three hours out of town and the bus broke down, and I remember sitting on the side of the road thinking, what the heck are we trying to do? Like, was this a crazy idea? Luckily, the missionary had one of his co-workers down in the area. They picked us up, took us up to where we where we were working out of the town called Mizuzu, Malawi, and we started our project there. So we originally started in three villages in 2007, and we had them making cloth shopping bags. So like I said before, the idea of a cloth shopping bag was at the time a good idea. The problem we had is within a couple years, it went from nobody knowing what a cloth shopping bag was to everybody having cloth shopping bags and the store selling cloth shopping bags for 99 cents. So we really got lucky. My wife was featured in a Family Circle article, and they needed a picture of her for the magazine, and we had brought back some colorful shoulder bags that somebody else had made in Malawi, but the guy liked the color of the material and said, hey, put that bag on your shoulder. And that ended up being the picture that was used in this article. And everybody got in contact with us and was saying, oh, we want to buy that bag. And at the time, all we were selling was a cloth shopping bag. So I immediately booked a trip to Malawi. We figured out how to make this bag. I went over there. We bought a bunch of material. And we told everybody, I'm going to be coming back through in a week. I'm going to buy every bag you can make. And so we brought back, I think it was five or 600 bags, and instantly sold them. And that's when we kind of diversified from the cloth shopping bag to a variety of different handbags and colorful bags using their local material that the ladies wear as a wrap. So 
that's how we started with that. We can fast forward to today. We're in eight different villages. Each village makes one or two different bags, and we sell our bags. We rely strictly on volunteers. All the all the pr- proceeds go back to the project. So we sell um, at a lot of like holiday events, churches. We've sold bags at the home tour here for years, and we've we've expanded that way. Some other areas we've expanded outside of the bags are we have a pad project where we give um, reusable sanitary pad kits to schoolgirls in Malawi, and it'll help keep them in school. One of the problems the girls have, they don't have access to feminine hygiene products. So a lot of times they're missing a whole week of the month, and then it's really hard for them to stay caught up in school. And add, on top of that, secondary schools in Malawi, they charge, they charge a small tuition fee. So between the tuition and then missing so much school, there's a lot of times girls drop out of school. So um, this project just gives them a reusable kit. Our tailors make the, 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 the pads. And then we, we've seen, um, informally, we've seen that, that it's helped the girls stay in school a little bit longer. We've got a rotary grant that we've we've applied for, and we're going to do some some more surveys and things. So, and our hope is that it does show that the girls stay in school, and um, it would show that the the, the product the project is a is a success and may be able to grow rapidly because empowering girls and women is one of the best ways you can um, pull countries out of poverty. The other pro the other um, project that I'm excited about we have is a tree planting project. In Malawi, all the people um, cook on an open fire, so they go into the into the bush and cut down trees for their firewood, and then they can also turn that firewood into charcoal and sell it. So it's an income generating product project for them, but it's deforested the whole country. So the idea behind our tree planting project is we go in and work with local villages, chiefs, and we'll give them the trees to plant and then every time we go visit we'll go out and monitor the trees and we'll give them a little bit of money for taking care of the trees so the the hope is that there'll be a value more of a value for that tree being alive than for them to cut it down and use it for firewood so um we're right now we're doing about 10,000 trees per year and we've we figured that it's going to cost about one dollar per tree for us to keep paying them money for about 10 years and then our hope is after 10 years, the trees will be big enough that we can, um, it's called a carbon offset. These trees will be taking carbon in out of the atmosphere, and we might be able to partner with with a company here in America that needs, that wants to offset their carbon, and they would pay to, to keep taking care of these trees. So some of the impacts we've seen from our project, I would say the biggest impact we've seen is, um, how it's, how it's helped the people grow. When we first went into the villages, they were, everybody's a subsistence, subsistence farmer. They grow maize and then they eat the maize and that's basically what they do. They don't have a lot of jobs. So we went in and they didn't even know what a tape measure was or they hadn't used scissors before. But now we've really produced some great tailors. Um, one of our favorite stories is about a, a lady named Dorothy. She she was in one of our first villages, which was probably the poorest village, and now she is such a good tailor. We can go in there with a bag that we saw in America. We can give that bag to Dorothy. She'll look at it, and in three or four hours, she'll have replicated that bag. So it's really neat to see how she's grown. 
One of the other things that you can really notice is we see a lot more tin, um, tin roofs in the villages. Usually the villages have grass, have grass roots, have grass roofs. And then in the rainy season, water leaks in and then they tend to get sick. So that's, that's one thing we've noticed is there's a lot more, um, tin roofs in the, in the villages. So it really helps keep the water out during the rainy season. And Dorothy was actually the first person we knew that, that ended up buying a tin roof. The interesting thing is, is we, a lot of times we don't know exactly what they're doing with the money because the idea of the project is just to give them the money and let them take care of their own problems. So we know that their children <clears throat> are staying in school longer, they're being fed better, they've got better clothes. So that's, uh, that's something, we, we don't know the details, but we can see it with our eyes when we, when we go there, that it's, it's really helping. So in the last, uh, I guess we're coming up on 13 years, We've sold over 20,000 bags, and we've sent back over half a, or half a million dollars to Malawi to the bag makers. And this congregation has also been a big part of it. Um, from pretty early on, we started selling bags at the home tour, and I know we've sold hundreds of bags through this congregation and then through my mom. I know she always used to have half a dozen bags in her trunk at any given time. <laughs> And so we've also sent thousands of dollars back um, from this congregation to the people in Malawi. So I'll be around um, after, after service if anybody wants to talk to me about Malawi or the, or the project. And I know we're coming back on the 29th. We'll have bags with us. And I'll prepare some Malawian food for everybody to try. Um, don't get your hopes up. It's not that great. <laughs> they, they, they grow maize. And then what they do is they pound that maize into a flour and boil it into like a dough ball. So it doesn't have a lot of flavor, but everybody will be free to try it. So <laughs> thank you. Perfect. So as Todd said, you'll have the opportunity to learn more about Africa bags and the work that they are doing. Um, there's opportunities to donate and to participate. There are some things listed already in happenings and admission possible, but you'll be hearing more about it this month. What I hope that you heard, what the mission team hopes that you heard also, is the inspiration and the passion that comes from trying to do the big thing, the thing that maybe you thought that you couldn't do. The story, the conversation uh, that we started with, with Jesus and the man who came to him ends on what seems like a sad note. The man uh, goes away and he is sad because he can't quite figure out how to make this shift in himself between taking care of himself and taking care of the world. But I want to leave you with the rest of that passage this morning. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded. And they said, then, who can do this? And Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. 
as we challenge ourselves to make the hard choices and as we come up against that internal voice that says to us, it's too hard, let's just go away. I invite you to have this mantra that replaces those thoughts. With God, all things are possible. Friends, go forth in the love of God. Go forth with hope and joy and the assurance that with God all things are possible. And when you go, wherever you go, may the love of God enfold you. May the peace of Christ fill you. And may the community that is the Holy Spirit encourage you along the way. Let us go now and continue our service in a time of fellowship.